You know, there are certain words or, or phrases that are almost guaranteed to make people really uncomfortable. Root canal. IRS audit. In the church world, another one of those words is the word evangelism. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the word evangelism may conjure up for you feelings of guilt or inadequacy, maybe even fear, discomfort. It may bring to mind awkward conversations and and strained relationships. If you don't identify yourself as a follower of Christ, the word is equally uncomfortable. If uh, you may think of, of people trying to shove religion down your throat, or maybe that relative who talks constantly about Jesus, or the televangelist who, who harangues people to come forward and be saved. The word evangelism has so many negative connotations that my, my goal for this message today is to stay away from the predictable stereotypes and the uncomfortable feelings associated with it. Because I've come to truly believe that true evangelism comes from gratitude for the life that God has given us through faith in Christ. And that gratitude then leads to a willingness to do anything to share that life with others. And if that's evangelism, then I'm all in. Today we're continuing our sermon series 72. And we kicked this off a couple of weeks ago by looking at at Luke 10 in a passage where Jesus is approaching the end of his life and ministry on earth. He's coming to the point where he's headed to Jerusalem. He knows the cross is awaiting him. And so he sends out 72 disciples, two by two, to go out and to go before him and to prepare the way and to do good, to do good deeds, to, to heal, to, to preach, and to proclaim, to proclaim the message that the kingdom of God was near. Well, today we're going to continue that, uh, that series, um, and we'll be looking at John chapter 3 and looking specifically at what Jesus has to say about evangelism and how he did it. Before we look at that passage together, though, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for um, uh, each person here, their, um, their, their, uh, the fact that they're created in your image. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, draw each one of us today to a place of focus on you, that we would see your truth and your love and, and your, your grace, your message is relevant to us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill this place and, and bring your word to bear on us through Christ our Lord. Amen. I read the following story of a, of a woman who really had a burden to share her faith with others. I'd like to read her, her story. She writes, I was heading to the platform to make a commuter rail connection when I noticed a woman, <coughs> excuse me, when I noticed a woman sitting and waiting for her train. She seemed somehow despondent. She just had that look in her eyes, a mixture of downcast and confusion. So I stopped and knelt down beside her, and I I reached out with a $5 bill and said, Excuse me, ma'am, I I have to catch my train, but I'd like you to accept this to pay for your ride home. Her eyes widened. She was caught by surprise, and I could sense a, Is this for real or some kind of joke response? But instead, she stuttered out, Why? Simply because you matter to God, she said. The woman says, I smiled at her, wished her a great day, then continued on the platform to my train. People around me must have thought I was out of my mind. 
She continues, I, as I walked down the platform, I found myself doing something uncharacteristic. I was pumping my fists into the air, grinning ear to ear, and saying audibly, yes. I felt exhilaration. I felt genuine joy that I could really reach out to somebody in a simple way and touch the life of somebody else. She, she concludes, I pray that my courage to step out of my comfort zone and reach out is pleasing to God, and I look and pray for more opportunities to do good. Now, that's a great story. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool story. And I'm sure God used that experience in both women's lives. But when we're talking about evangelism, that's just the beginning. There, there, there must be more. There must be more to follow if we want to, like one of the 72, go out and represent Jesus and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. People need to not only see and experience the good news, but they need to hear it. Of course, which is, uh, that's why we want, need to remind ourselves that, that doing good isn't just seeing what Jesus would see and, and doing what Jesus would do. It's also saying what Jesus would say to the people that we rub shoulders with. But here's the catch. It's not just a matter of saying what Jesus would say, but it's saying it like Jesus would say it. In other words, people need to hear the good news in a way that they experience as good. But unfortunately... That doesn't always happen. David Kinnaman in his book, Unchristian, interviewed hundreds of young adults on their perceptions and experiences with Christianity. When it came to the subject of evangelism, the overwhelming response was negative. The people that Kinnaman talked to felt buttonholed, bullied, and manipulated. Only one-third felt that the Christians in their lives really cared about them. The rest said they felt like somebody's project, like a target. So how do we share our faith in a way that others experience the good news as, as good? How do we say what Jesus would say in the way that he would say it? Well, this morning we're going to find that answer in John chapter 3. So if you're still there, turn to John chapter 3 with me, or you can follow along on the screen as well. The first thing that we learn from this passage that Je from Jesus is to let our actions speak first. Look at the first few verses. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, now Nicodemus was, was a good man. He, he was deeply religious. He kept the commandments. He was well-educated, well-respected. He was a leader in the community. If anybody in that society should have known God and been close to him, it was Nicodemus. But he sees something in Jesus that is missing from his own life. He knows that Jesus has come from God because of the things that Jesus was doing. Now, the signs that, uh, that Nicodemus speaks of are the miracles that Jesus had performed. And I would submit it was just not the, the, the power behind these miracles that caught Nicodemus' attention. It, it was the compassion. It was the the kindness, it was the beauty, the spirit of Jesus Christ in those acts as well. Because keep in mind, Nicodemus would have been very familiar. He'd seen many teachers and prophets and so-called messiahs come and go, but there was something different, something unique about Jesus Christ. Something about not just the miracles that he did, but something about why he did them and how he did them. And, and it prompted Nicodemus to want to know more. Let me ask you a pointed question this morning. 
Is there something about your life, the quality of your life, the character of your life, is there something about your life that prompts other people to want to know more? Do people encounter you? Do people encounter me and say, I know that person comes from God because nobody else has treated me with such kindness and respect and cared for me and served me. There's, there's something different and unique about that person. And so I want to know more. You know, Jesus wanted hearing by the, by the quality of his life and his works. He earned the right to be heard by virtue of his compassion, his goodness, and his power. And certainly we're not Jesus. You and I are not going to win a hearing by changing water into wine. We're not going to impress by people by healing the sick or multiplying loaves and fish. But we can be an unexpected blessing. We can care for people when they're hurting. We can pray for them. We can provide a, a home-cooked meal. The first thing we learn about evangelism is that it involves both proclamation and demonstration, actions as well as words. You know, for too long we've thought of evangelism as simply telling people what they need to hear. Jesus reminds us that evangelism is also showing people what they need to see. Nicodemus needed to see a life that was different from any other life, a life that was better than the life he had known to that point. And he saw that in Jesus and he wanted to know more. You know, people today are not going to be won over by the fact that we go to church every week and that we don't use bad words and that we stay sexually pure and that we try to tell the truth. There might have been a time when people were impressed by that, but not so much anymore. They may think it's admirable. They may think it's a little bit weird. But chances are they're not going to come and knock on a door and say, tell me more. The thing that will stop people in their tracks, that will make them wonder why, is an unexpected, unconditional act of grace and kindness and mercy and compassion. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I'm a little frustrated because I don't have as many opportunities as I would like to share with people outside these church walls about my faith. But maybe, maybe it's because I'm not doing the kinds of things that prompt those conversations. That leads to the second thing we learn from Jesus here, which is to engage people in real conversation. You know, what's striking about this account in John 3 is, is a sense of give and take back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus. When Nicodemus comes with a question, Jesus doesn't take out a pamphlet and and explain the four spiritual laws. He doesn't take out a napkin and draw a diagram of, of, of salvation. Jesus will eventually get to that, but that's not where he starts. He doesn't leap at the chance to deliver his speech or, or, or make a canned presentation. What he offers is a conversation starter. Look at how he does this in verse 3. He says to Nicodemus, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Now that's a very familiar expression to many of us being born again. Um, but for somebody like Nicodemus, he had never heard something like this before. You know, Jesus intentionally introduced a provocative new way of talking about faith. Nicodemus was probably expecting Jesus to say something about knowing Scripture well or, or keeping the, the commandments or, or offering sacrifices or being a person of prayer. But instead, Jesus talks about a new kind of life, a new way of being a human. He says, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. 
you know, Jesus had a second kind of birth in mind, but Nicodemus is focused in on a second time of birth. You can see how he responds. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? My point here, what we can learn from Jesus here is that he doesn't, he doesn't turn to predictable, worn-out religious cliches in talking to Nicodemus. Nor does he dump the whole conversation and message on him at once. At this point, all he wants to do is to engage Nicodemus in conversation and get Nicodemus thinking in new ways about what it means to relate to God and to know God. Paul Borthwick has written a helpful book on this subject entitled, Stop Witnessing and Start Loving. He tells the story of a guy he got to know at the gym over a period of months and eventually invited to have lunch with one day. After a bit of small talk, Borthwick decided to cut right to the chase. Let's, Let's seal the deal here. He says, Bill, have you ever heard the message that God loves you and offers you the gift of eternal life? Bill responded, yes, but can I ask you a couple questions? Sure, said Paul. Bill went on, what do you mean by God? What do you mean he he loves me? And what do you mean by eternal life? At that point, Borthwick realized that he needed to slow down and lose the religious jargon and just find out where Bill was at spiritually and, and through that find out what he needed to talk about. You see, sharing our faith isn't about delivering a speech or making a sales pitch. It's about entering into conversations with God. It's about just as much listening as it is about talking. Todd Hunter is the former president of Alpha USA and is something of a specialist in the area of contemporary culture and evangelism. And he says that people used to come to faith by listening, hearing a clear clear presentation of the gospel in a crusade meeting or a home visit. Now he says more and more people are coming to faith by talking airing out their doubts and their questions in a series of conversations over lunch or a cup of coffee. He says the best thing we can do for people is to listen to them, to inject or offer a thought or two or question here and there, but primarily to listen to them and allow them to talk their way to God as God speaks to them. And and that's what Jesus did with Nicodemus. If we follow the rest of the conversation in chapter 3, we'll see it go back and forth like this. Comment, question, response, answer, until it comes to some kind of resolution, <laughs> excuse me, later in the chapter. And if we were to flip over to chapter 4, where we find a, a similar thing happening, where Jesus encounters the woman at the well. Remember that conversation he has? Kind of a give and take conversation. And it seems as if John is putting these two stories together near the beginning of his gospel to provide us with examples of how Jesus typically talked with people about faith. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is, this is, this is good news. Because I can sometimes find it hard to know how to engage people about my faith in personal settings, especially when they find out that I'm a pastor. But I can question and I can listen all day long. We can ask things like, what's your religious background? Has there been a time in your life when you felt close to God? How do you feel about Christ? What do you know about Him? What's your impression of, of church or Christianity? People are much more interested in those type of conversations than than you realize. So sharing our faith the way Jesus would share it means letting our actions speak first, and it means engaging people in real conversation. But sooner or later, we have to get to the message, what we call the gospel, the good news. So the third thing we draw out of this, we learn from Jesus, is to tell God's story. By the time we get to uh, verse 16, there's a subtle shift in the passage. John 3.16 expresses the essence of what Jesus 
would say to anybody who came looking to him for answers to the questions of life. It's uh, the most loved and familiar probably verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus is saying four things here. Four things he would want us to say so we have a chance to speak for him. The first is he would want us to say something about God's love. For God so loved the world. Now, those words would have caught Nicodemus completely by surprise. He knew that God loved Israel. But the fact that the idea that God loves everybody, Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, sinners, would have blown up all his categories. You know, it's no different today. Many people have no idea that God loves them. They figure that God is either mad at them or is oblivious to their lives. Others have heard that God loves them, but they don't know what that means or if it's, if it's really true. That's why it's so important for, for words and actions to go together. Because many people will not be able to experience God's love until they've experienced God's love through another person. Somebody who claims the name of Christ, who accepts them, loves them, cares for them, helps them, does good for them. That's why words and deeds must go together. So when we have a chance to speak for Jesus, we begin by saying something about God's love. Second, we are to say something about Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, it's wonderful to know that God loves us, but without Jesus, we would be forever separated from that love. Jesus came to earth to bring us near to God. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. There is no gospel without Jesus. So if you have a chance, say something about Jesus. It doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to have all the answers, but say something about Jesus. Uh, a story or a verse from the Bible, something he said or did. About, tell them about what he means to you. Third, say something about life. The second part of verse three, of verse 16. That whoever believes in him, talking of Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. Tell them that eternal life isn't just about life after death. It's about life that begins today. And tell them that it's not just longer life, but it's about better life. Tell them it's life the way it was meant to be lived, a life of meaning and purpose and joy. You know, people don't know that about God. They think of God as some great killjoy in the sky. That, that the Christian life is about things that we're not supposed to do, that we're supposed to avoid. But we need to tell them and show them through our lives with Christ is the best kind of life available to any human being. And then finally, if we want to tell God's story, we need to say something about belief. People need to know that it's not about good works or being baptized, or knowing the right answers. It's about saying yes to God's love. It's about inviting Jesus Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins and to make you into the person that he's called you to be. So when we talk about God's story, we, we need to say something about belief, about why we believe. And if it feels right, ask them if they're ready to do the same. Those are the things that Jesus would say if he were walking among us today. But he would say something about God's love. He would say something about his sacrifice 
He would say something about a life that is possible with him. And he would say something about the necessity of belief. But Jesus Christ doesn't walk the earth in flesh and blood today. He's here with his spirit. But it's up to you and me, not just to be the hands and feet of Christ, but to be his voice as well. And so we are to let our actions speak first. We are to engage people in real conversation. And we are to tell them God's story. I want to close with a story about a, a man who came to faith. And this is what he writes about how he came to faith and how the process worked. He writes, My colleague Marilyn is a senior faculty member who is loved by her students and always willing to help them with anything. At the first commencement I attended, I saw Marilyn hugging her students so warmly and wholeheartedly that I was deeply impressed. Something about her seemed different to me. About two years later, my sister lost her husband suddenly, and when I came back to school after the funeral, I found a small card with some comforting verses from the Bible. It was from Marilyn. That's when I understood why she was different. For the next two years, I began to notice other Christians around me. My sister, who was an atheist, began to explore Christianity, and I saw her life transformed by Christ. She and I had many conversations about spiritual things, and then my wife came to Christ, and I was amazed by the transformation in her life. It was as if she had been born all over again, and I was drawn to the kindness I saw in all their lives. And after many conversations, I surrendered my life to Christ. Small acts of kindness, one is attention. Something different in the life of a person piqued his interest. Many conversations over a period of, of, of years happened until he understood God's love in life, and he said yes to Jesus Christ. And so it was with Nicodemus. At some point, this conversation came to an end, and Jesus let Nicodemus walk away without trying to seal the deal. But it wasn't the end of the story. Nicodemus showed up again in the middle of the Gospel of John, arguing with the Pharisees this time, standing up for Jesus and saying, you need to give him a fair hearing. And then he showed up again at the end of the Gospel, when he took Jesus' body down from the cross and, and prepared it for burial and took a stand publicly for Christ. It took a while for, for the things Jesus said and did to sink in. But eventually, Nicodemus believed the good news and was, was born again. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and we thank you for the good news that, that um, he demonstrated and lived and proclaimed when he came to earth. Lord, we pray that we would follow Jesus' example that we would demonstrate in our lives something different that would, that would provoke people to ask more, to say, what's going on? What's different about this person? We pray that you would give us the sensitivity and wisdom to know how to engage people respectfully and authentically in conversation, to listen and to ask questions and comments as, as needed. And Lord, we pray that we would be prepared and, and able and, and excited to tell your story that you love people passionately and unconditionally. Lord Jesus, that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he loves us and is the only way to you. Help us to be ready to tell people uh, about the need to, to believe and to trust. And use us, Lord God. Please use us. 
to bring others into that relationship with you. We ask this through Christ, O Lord. Amen.